this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we'll be talking about The Suicide Squad. Not Suicide Squad, The (laughs) Suicide Squad. I can be confusing for a lot of people, and I don't think Warner Brothers counted on that. (laughs) I genuinely think it was confusing. I think I know it was confusing because right before I went to my screening, I was like, I told my wife, hey, babe, I'm headed out to see The Suicide Squad. And she's like, didn't that movie come out like a few years ago? And I'm like, it's a different one. And they're like, and she's like a different one. I'm like, yeah, this is called the suicide squad. She's like, what is it a sequel? Is it a reboot? I was like, both. She said, yes. <laughs> I said, yes. And I just got a very, and she's like, why have I not heard of this movie? <laughs> and so anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> if you're wondering why it made only 28 to 30 million, I don't even know how much it made over the weekend. It was like 26. It was like 26 30, million. So. Um, there are a lot of reasons why, but I quite enjoyed the film a lot. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of the year, and I was not expecting that to be the case because I know you were you were very skeptical. I was super skeptical, I was super underwhelmed by both uh of the main trailers that we saw, and I was just kind of like, uh, is it just like James Gunn being like, look how extreme I am, look at all these extreme heads exploding and people dropping f bombs. And like, that just wasn't super interesting to me. I, I like Slither. I hate Super. Um, and I like the Guardians movies. So I really didn't know what to expect with this and found myself pleasantly surprised, I think. And I think the key is controlled chaos. It is bonkers and a really wild movie, but it feels meticulously crafted. Like every single moment feels like it's purposeful. And it starts with the opening, which, you know, contrasted to 2016 Suicide Squad, which is just hits you with like seven different songs. And here's this character and this character, and here's another opening and another opening. This is a very quiet controlled opening to the film that eases you into the world and the Suicide Squad, who then just immediately get murdered. Um, and then that, you know, that kicks off the film. And it, I don't know, it, I was pleasantly surprised by that amount of, con- that degree of control, which is prevalent throughout the entire film to me. Well, I also like, you know, it's weird for, you know, 2016 Suicide Squad, you look at that film and it's like, who's the only character that dies? Like there are two characters that die. And the only one who I remember, like always that dies is Slipknot (laughs) because it's so funny. And like, you can see it a mile away and it just, I would, I I feel like it was a missed opportunity for a joke later on to being like, we need rope. (laughs) We need someone who's good at climbing and we killed our one climbing guy. (laughs) Whereas like the Suicide Squad understands like right off the bat, like, okay, these are not heroes. These are not supposed to be good people and they're disposable. What can I do with that? And when you're working from there, like in the opening of the film, like you see like these characters who, yeah, it was also kind of obvious that they were going to get disposed of, but it happens in a more colorful, enjoyable way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and more surprising. Co- it is genuinely surprising. It is like, there. I mean, well, there's buildup to it. 
you know, and then so and like it, you get that release of the prologue, but it also kind of tells you this is not going to be like 2016's film. This is not really going to be like any superhero movie you've seen thus far because there are going to be stakes. There yeah. are good characters can die in this world, which is something you'd like. I mean, we can say, you know, we can talk about Avengers or Justice League all day, but those characters, if they do die, it's going to be a big deal when they do. Like it's yeah. going to be, and it won't happen until like the film itself is the most important film ever. <laughs> like it won't happen it until until yeah. your Infinity War, or your end game, you know. And that's exactly to. what happened, yeah. Right, and so like, so for this film to just sort of be like, yeah, I wouldn't get too attached. <laughs> and yet- <laughs> you end up getting attached to these characters. Like the main group, you end up getting attached to them. Like you really feel for who they are. Um, and there are a bunch of, like it has that Guardians of the Galaxy, like we're a bunch of rejects, but we've formed a sort of odd camaraderie here. And I think that's really endearing. Yeah. Yeah, I think contrasted to 2016 Suicide Squad, I think one of the fatal flaws of that movie is that it tries to make every character a hero. So like, it doesn't want anyone to look too bad. So like Will Smith's character, you know, he's an assassin, but he loves his daughter so much. Mm -hmm. And Captain Boomerang, he's a crazy guy, but he's just fun to be around. Like he's a good guy. Uh, even Diablo, you know, it's like he can't control it. He doesn't actually want to kill people. Mm -hmm. So it's a superhero movie, you know, it's not necessarily an anti-hero movie. It's it's the Avengers, but a little bit darker. And even the stakes don't seem to make a lot of I mean, the plotting of 2016 Suicide Squad is an absolute mess. Yeah. Where essentially they're cleaning up a mess that Amanda Waller has already made <laughs> through yeah. her Suicide Squad program. <laughs> and we should say this with the caveat of like the author of 2016 Suicide Squad is Warner Brothers. Like it is yes. a Justice League situation. It is. Like, like that I was not controlled by David Ayer. It was not, you know, this is what our film is going to I'll get be. on my hobby horse again that it still amazes me to no end how badly Warner Brothers fucked up in 2016 between Batman v Superman yeah. and Suicide Squad, like with both those films. Regardless of what you think of them, they underperformed at the box. Like neither one performed as much as they, they wanted to. They weren't well received by audiences and critics. And the thing that got lost Kevin Sujahara, his job was being too horny. So yeah. <laughs> it yeah. didn't really matter that he made bad, that, you know, the studio tent poles were bad. I mean, this that Suicide Squad did make a lot of money. I think it made more than they thought it was going to be. It was, but it was still yeah. critically reviled, and they they just had a bunch of stink on them for that year, and the studio mm -hmm. panicked. Which was, you know, I did a whole write up on the how 2016 Suicide Squad hot Suicide Squad happened, and a, a large reason why Warner Brothers started meddling was the release of Batman versus Superman. They right. internally panicked. They quote unquote were embarrassed and didn't want it to be, you know, the dark brooding movie that david ayer made no they wanted it to be guardians of the galaxy yeah so <laughs> then you go to the suicide squad and these characters are bad they are bad people and they continue being bad people through the whole movie but they have gun finds the humanity in them mm -hmm. so it's not it doesn't feel like a forced like all right you know here's blood sport but he loves his daughter. It's all right. Here's Bloodsport. He is having a profanity laden yelling match with his daughter. In prison. Yes. Uh, and he also loves her, but bad dude. Uh, you know, King Shark, lovable, non on a guy's head, like just decapitating just, people. Yeah. And just There's an entire people. scene where they just off a bunch of freedom fighters. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's, and it's played for laughs. Like, I mean, it's kind of, it's that level of dark comedy that I think only a Suicide Squad movie could do. Like, you can't, and I think that's the smart move. Like Marvel could never make this kind of movie. Even when they, even if they eventually make Deadpool three, it won't 
really be this because no. you still have to consider the marvelness of it all and then also like in, with deadpool everything has to revolve around deadpool and his personality whereas this could just be like these are some bad dudes mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know they're gonna get into some mischief peacemaker is like an abhorrent person <laughs> just an yes, absolutely he's abhorrent, and yet man. I, I find that John Cena is so perfectly cast because he has such dumb puppy energy in a way. Yeah, yeah. Like he's just like, I will kill as many men, women, and children for peace. <laughs> for peace as it takes. John, man, the deadpan comedy that comes out of John Cena, I think between this and Blockers, is John yeah. Cena, and even his his small role in Trainwreck, is John Cena one of the funniest <laughs> actors working today? I'm going to come back there and suck your dick. <laughs> She's like, that's not a dig. What are you doing? <laughs> okay, we got to end this podcast so we can just go watch Trainwreck now. <laughs> He's so good in Trainwreck. But yeah, I, you know, I think Gun Gun gets it exact gets it exactly right. The tone is perfect, and the characters are, and like, despite their despicableness, you are still kind of rooting for them. I think Ratcatcher Two is probably the least despicable of the bunch. I can't really remember if she like does some super bad things, but. No, she's Even, the heart of the film. Yeah. So like, yeah. And so by the end, we're not going to get super into spoilers because it seems like some people still haven't seen it um, unless you think we should. No, I don't think we, no, because that's the thing. Like I would not say a 30 million over the weekend box office is qualifies for like, oh, this was a huge hit. And yeah, maybe a bunch of people watched it on HBO Max, but I don't know how many. And so yeah. I'll, I'm going to keep it spoiler free because I want people to watch uh, the Suicide Squad. Yeah. And it's surprising. And I think it, it, it really it's paced really well it never it's it's surprising like the third act has moments of beauty in it you know amidst this kind of chaotic hectic battle that also is itself subversive um you know i don't know gun has said he's had more free he had more freedom on this film than he's had on any film his entire career and uh, you know i just think it's it's neat to see how far he can push that to its extreme um, in this movie. And I wish more people had seen it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I feel like, yeah, on the one hand, there are a lot of, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. There are a lot of factors here that are beyond guns control. Yeah, You know, there's the pandemic is still raging, especially with the Delta variant. There is the fact that it's a hybrid release. So people have the option of seeing it on HBO Max. And then there's the fact that like people were like, so is it a, like they didn't know what it was. It was like the only, like from a title perspective, the only thing that's different is the definite article. Mm -hmm. And so it's confusing about what this movie even is. So I get it. I get why its box office was not amazing, but I also feel like, it's going to have a lot more staying power than other DC movies. Yeah. I heard from my wife that a lot of people she works with assumed it was just a sequel and they're like, I didn't like that other movie. So I'm not going to watch mm-hmm. it. You've, and I think we, a lot of times we take for granted because, and I'm sure I assume if you listen to this podcast, like you knew it was James Gunn, you knew it was like a semi reboot. I think we take for granted that a lot of people don't know that. I don't know enough normies to be perfectly. <laughs> I just don't. I need to like get more normies into my life about people who are just like, you know, cause like my, my wife, like she's pretty normie, but like, she like has the misfortune of being around me all the time. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> Hey, come watch this trailer for this thing. You don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> 
look, it's look, you know, it's Black Widow. <laughs> well, and based on these trailers, it just looked like a sequel. It was like, yeah, I remember that Margot Robbie's character. And, you know, Birds of Prey, I think, did pretty well, but it wasn't like a massive movie. Well, and Birds of Prey had the disadvantage of being like coming out like as the pandemic was ramping up. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of shuttled to. Yeah, to it made 200 million. Yeah. So who knows like how how well that would have fared under different circumstances. Um, you know, I just feel like, but I do feel like Warner Brothers is, if you look at the success at least the critical success of, of Suicide Squad. I don't know if they'll look at any other factors, but they clearly, Warner Brothers has had more success when they're just like, let's just trust the filmmaker rather than being like, we got a medal and make sure everything connects. And because even though I think the film is garbage, they didn't, they clearly did not meddle with Joker and Joker yeah. made a billion fucking dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think. I was going to say, I thought Todd Phillips, they had to fight to get that movie made. They had to fight to get it made, but once it was made, made it was yeah. like, eh, it cost 40 million, 40 to 60 million, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think that they are seeing that that's the path forward. Even on something like Birds of Prey, that feels, that felt like a transition piece. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you know, it's a little more authorial. And listen, like, I, you know, it has to be said, they felt burned by Zack Snyder. Batman versus Superman was largely his vision. And they got scared. They got scared that it didn't do well. They got scared that critics didn't like it. And they had an adverse reaction in the opposite direction. So, yeah, well, again, it's just, I think, and again, the market pressures of sort of like you have all these shareholders, the shareholders are like, well, why isn't this is, you know, why am I a Warner Brothers shareholder instead of a Disney shareholder or whatever, whoever owns whatever studio, you, you know, the you know if if marvel movies are making a billion dollars every time they release a new one mm -hmm. and warner brothers movies aren't these superhero movies aren't making that that's an issue for me as a shareholder and warner brothers i think panicked yeah yeah and i think they did the wrong thing so. yeah but i think suicide squad is, is is definitely a step in the right direction i would you know james gunn says that he thinks that Guardians 3 will probably be the last Guardians movie he makes, but I'd be very down for if he made another Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, same here. And he's got Peacemaker, which I'm excited to watch mm -hmm. uh, yeah. coming in January. So I think that'll be exciting. Yeah, he said, I think Walter Hamada said that he's working on other, he has ideas for other DC projects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Warner Brothers called him and said, you have carte blanche, do whatever you want. And I can't believe they offered, they offered him Superman. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, tells me that they don't understand Superman. Like, no, I love, they don't know. I, don't I know love anything. James Gunn, but, you know, it's like, did, you know, he was involved in the making of Brightburn, right? Like, he was a producer <laughs> on Brightburn, and and that's Superman. But, like, well, and even to James Gunn's Gunn credit, make it. To his credit, he said the only Superman movie he's interested in making is Crypto. Like his dog Aww. gets away. <laughs> so like, that's that's where his interest lies. Um, but yeah, he was at, you know, do whatever you want. He said he spent a month kind of developing a bunch of different DC adaptations. And then he decided to follow the one that was the most exciting to him. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Suicide Squad was a good fit. Clearly, he has like a niche that he fills really well. Right. Um, so I would be happy to see him come back. I feel like they would want him back. I'd be curious to see you know what it's like working going back to marvel for guardians 3 not that they didn't give him creative freedom but it is a it's a very different machine and you're making a very different kind of movie for a very yeah. different kind of audience although i think he's so familiar with the machine at this point yeah that it, and and i think the fact that guardians 2 feels like 
a, a more like it feels like they gave him even more room in Guardians 2 than they did in Guardians 1. Yeah. I'd be surprised if like he was somehow more constricted on Guardians 3 cuz also Guardians are just off in their own little world. Mm-hmm. For the most part, for now, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll not. See. Yeah, maybe not knows? anymore. <laughs> who knows? Now, now that there's a multiverse in the Marvel and the MCU, yeah. So who knows? But um, yeah, I would, I would be happy to see him come back. I think the current slate of upcoming DC movies is interesting. You know, like I'm super excited for the Batman. I hope that it's good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I also hope the Batman is good. But yeah, no, I mean, I think there's, you know, I, I'm, I'm even interested in like Black Adam and yeah. uh, the Shazam sequel and uh what else aquaman 2 aquaman and the lost kingdom that one i'm not as interested in that's (laughs) because i'm not a huge fan of the first aquaman honestly the one i'm most curious about is the flash yeah that should be a little that should be interesting um but we'll see we'll see how they're like trying to introduce the multiverse right i mean and that's another advantage that suicide squad has is that like they mentioned that like um that Superman was shot with a kryptonite bullet, but like they don't have to work. Like 2016 Suicide Squad is like, and here's Batman and here's Flash. Mm-hmm. Like, look, it's all connected. And the Suicide Squad just doesn't have to care about any of that. And yeah. so it just, it does its own thing. I did like that, how there was just no connectivity. To- well, and, and, but also no connectivity in a way that made sense. Like the thing, one of the things about 2016 Suicide Squad that bugged me is like, why is like a superhero not involved in this? Like, why, why would they just let this happen? Whereas, in the suicide card, they explain like it's a black ops thing. Like it's, it, you know, superheroes aren't getting involved because it's like a dirty off the books kind of deal. Yeah. You know, they don't know about it until the situation is already unfolding. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, I don't know. In universe, it makes sense. For sure. Uh, anything, I, you know, I just, I don't want to spoil anything about the suicide squad. So I'm going uh, <laughs> to zip my lid. I'm curious, you know, if people are going to catch up on it on HBO Max because it's only on HBO Max for 31 days, so the clock is mm. kind of ticking there. And you know, Sony's already pushing Venom back. The Delta variant is raging, so I think fewer people are going to theaters. Mm-hmm. We had this kind of like short spurt with Black. Yeah, it was sh- essentially just Black Widow and what? There was one other one that F9, well. F9, and that was it. <laughs> and then it was like people went back indoors. Well, you know, I mean, we, we blew it as we, as I should have, I should have, like, that's the thing. I should have just been more pessimistic and been like, oh no, there's a good chunk of the country whose identity hinges on being pro COVID. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, I just like, no, of course there's a vaccine. Why would people not get a vaccine? It's like, oh no, because there's an entire media infrastructure that's built on fake conflict. So yeah. Yay. It's really frustrating. I'm, I want movies to be back. I, I want to return to some sense of normalcy mm-hmm. there. I am worried that this is kind of irreparably changing things. I mean, the thing with the Suicide Squad is if everything is TV, mm-hmm. then what is special? Like, what well, is think, there an urgency to see anything anymore? And that's the thing. And I think it'll be interesting to see if, if anything changes when there you don't have this hybrid release strategy to fall back on. Because, yeah. you know, for their part, Warner Brothers is like in 2022, we're not doing this. We'll do a 45 day window, mm-hmm. but our major releases will have that window. Yeah. Um, I think and- they've realized it's necessary. I bet. I mean, we haven't seen the HBO Max numbers, but I bet they suggest that. Uh, yeah, we kind of kneecap the box office here. Right. Well, we're kneecapping box office and we're just it's hard to say that anything is an event because when everything's on streaming, it's all just content. And then there's no urgency. And then it's like it doesn't matter what anyone's watching. So like, yeah, you might have the biggest movies on your streamer, but once they're there, 
why why am I watching it? Like why do why do I have to watch it right now as yeah. opposed to years from now? Mm-hmm. What's the, what, what what I have other things that are worth my attention. Why do I have to do this? Whereas if something's in the theater, it's in that moment. People still have Breaking Bad in their Netflix queue. Like there's right. not a it's not like oh I have to watch this right now. Right. So if you want to be part of if you want to fight for urgency in a, in a crowded marketplace you can't just be like well here's more things in the marketplace you have to be like you have to accentuate scarcity and be like this is only going to be available in this if for this kind of viewing for this amount of time and you have to take advantage of it or else it's gone and i think like a that, mondo poster kind of i mean <laughs> scarcity works our brains are, are wired for that so. yeah i i hope that we get back to that i mean you know sony doesn't have a streaming arm venom two and uh spider-man are gonna be theatrical only that i think i think that those films will be events we'll see i forgot about a quiet place part two that did really well and it i think it the 45 day window works nicely yeah. in its favor yeah so so we'll see how it goes but um you know suicide squad check it check it while you can and you know it's i think you know it's the film i wish i had seen with a crowd um yeah. but i also wish there wasn't a raging pandemic so yeah. <laughs> if you you know i would say it's fine to see it on hbo max um yeah i watched it on my tv and really enjoyed it so. yeah uh all right well with that let's uh let's switch shift gears moving to recently watched what have you seen lately so we spoke last week about how i need to see seven samurai and i just don't have the time to do it i don't have three hours so this past weekend we watched eight hours of dr death Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you watch a three and a half hour movie when you could watch eight one hour blocks of television? Yes, exactly. Uh, I don't know why we do this, but my wife and I were super interested in it and it's great. Uh, It's on Peacock. It is like one part true crime thriller, one part true detective season four with like sleuthing doctors played by Christian Slater and Alec Baldwin, um, which is just very fun. It is based on a true story. It's based on a podcast of this neurosurgeon who was just like severely injuring his patients. The question became, is he doing it on purpose or is he just a really bad surgeon? And that's the question at the heart of this. Some of those patients died. Some patients went in for a routine spinal surgery, came out a quadriplegic. Uh, It's terrifying. If you have any anxieties about like medical stuff, uh, it will be a very tough watch. (laughs) It will make you nervous to ever go back in for another surgery uh, because this is a thing that happened and like kind of watching how it happened. Um, but it's fascinating and it's a really interesting story about, well, I don't, I don't really want to give anything away, but Joshua Jackson plays Dr. Death and he gives a really good performance. Is his name Dr. Death? Is his name like Dr. No. James Death? <laughs> no, that would have uh, been a tip off. Uh, his name is like, I think it's Dench, Dr. Dench, something uh, like that. But yes, that would have been a good tip off. <laughs> his name is Death. Dr. Death. Uh, I have a, a friend I went to college with, uh, and he became a doctor and his last name is Hurt. So his name is Dr. Hurt. <laughs> uh but yeah if you have peacock i highly suggest watching it. it's easily very bingeable we watched it friday saturday sunday uh just like three episodes three or four episodes each night um and it was just a fun thing to do i don't know sometimes i find myself just like especially now just wanting to kind of escape into something that is like a little trashy and just like really fun um and dr death was that so all right fair enough and again alec baldwin and christian slater as sleuthing doctors just investigating doctor shit. Very good. That, that's that's a good hook. 
uh, for me, I've been making my way through Stanley Kubrick's films. I finally got around to watching the only two I hadn't seen were his earliest films. And I'm t- these are among the features, not the, his short, but uh, fear and desire and killer's kiss. Neither one of which are, are great. Like they're good starter films in terms of like him getting, you know, dipping his toe into directing and, uh, but even he kind of disowned those movies. But the film I want to talk about is The Killing, uh, which I recently revisited. And it's so good. It's basically like imagine Ocean's Eleven and then it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. And that's kind of The Killing. Like you have this very, like it's all about their, these, this group of guys who are planning to rob a, uh, a horse track. And it's like, it's like, it's fine tuned like a Swiss watch, except one of their wives is very devious and her husband is kind of a sop and she knows that she can she and her lover can pull one over on them and sort of you know rob the heist essentially and so it's it's makes it throws sort of a wrench into things but it's very captivating it's great it's a great noir uh the ending is just sort of almost so ironic and darkly comic that you feel like the curb your enthusiasm music could play over the ending <laughs> just like how much of like like <laughs> just the way it all falls apart um but it's very good it's t- it's tight too it's only like i think 88 minutes or something it's it moves um but it's a film i like more with with every viewing so if you haven't seen the killing uh, i would highly recommend it i haven't seen the killing but i've seen all of dr death well, there, there you go. Hoity toity. <laughs> I'm out here seeing art. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. You can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, we will be back with two episodes. I'm very excited. We have an interview with Martin Campbell for his new film, The Protégé. Campbell also directed... Uh, Mask of Zorro, GoldenEye, Casino Royale. So that'll be a fun, that's a fun conversation. We also talked with Brian Andrew Mendoza, the producer and director of Sweet Girl, starring Jason Momoa and Isabella Merced. That's coming to Netflix. Be on the lookout for both of those podcasts. Great conversations. We're so glad to have those directors on. And uh, we hope you enjoy listening to that.